today is Thanksgiving, as we know. And um, as I said uh, in the prayer meeting, prayed about this too, is that I'm an immigrant and came here in 97 with my family. And in 2001, as soon as I could, I got a Canadian passport. Passport, passport. And uh, I've always tell people I'm, I'm not a Canadian by birth, but certainly am by choice. I love this nation. And God is absolutely amazing. And he has got a great future for us here in and through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so I just wanted us to take a moment, do something different, just to bow our heads for a moment. I did this with two of my grandchildren this morning. I asked them what they were thankful for. And my little girl Zoe said she was thankful for our dog Pip. So that was awesome. And, but that's just for a moment. We, we live in an amazing nation, a nation that needs a church to rise up and take its rightful place, but, and that, uh, but speaks the truth, and we're going to look at that to do, uh, today in love. So if we could just bow our heads for a moment and thank God. Lord, we are so grateful for this beautiful nation that we have the privilege of calling home. Lord, you've brought us here to be shining lights, Lord God. And I pray that we as a community will be a people that honor um, our leaders. Lord, that we'll be a people that pray for our leaders, who make decisions that impact millions, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that even as the founding fathers of this nation determined that you will have dominion from sea to sea, we say, Lord Jesus, be lifted up from sea to sea in this nation. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to be here um, with you again, and um, we continue on a, on a journey. There's a little book that I'm going to ask people, if you haven't got this, this tells you all about us, what we believe, our vision and values, and I must say for me, um, I've only been in, uh, in three churches, and um, all of them were related to NCMI, got saved in 1984, but for me, the most important thing for me, if I was... Um, looking for a church, um, one of them would be what they believe and how they do things. So if, uh, if I can ask people just to stand up, I'll start to get that organized. Um, obviously it wasn't. So <laughs> where are these books? Does anybody know where they are? <laughs> That'll be great. And, um, and uh, what we'll do then is at the end, uh, we'll have people at the door and you can pick one up. That'll be great. Thank you so much. And um, so today we continue on the vision, um, our vision and values. And um, a little quick recap for those and a gentle, uh, who weren't here and a gentle reminder for those who um, were here last week. I sp- we started speaking on our primary value and I'm going to pick that up as we go along. 
But uh, it's more than likely the most important thing about us as a church. So if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go and listen to that message because uh, this is going to build on what we said last week. But for you uh, today, just a recap and a gentle, gentle reminder. We looked at last week our primary value. And this is the most important thing about us, I believe, is that the Bible in its entirety is the inspired and authoritative word of God. And the only acceptable standard for life, ministry, and conduct in the, life, in the local church. It is a plumb line. We looked at that, and you'll see that last week. The plumb line, the thing that we set our course on, the word of God. This is the thing that we, this is the word that we base our lives on. In Ephesians, we looked at Ephesians 4 last week, and Paul was speaking to um, Timothy, his true son in the faith. He's nearing his death, and these are more than likely his most important words he ever said to Timothy. He says this to him in Timothy 5 verse one, uh, 4 verse 1 to 5. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their inching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, keep your head in all situations. But you, Oceanside, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. We looked at this quote and I wanted to put it up again. Timothy Keller leaves an amazing church in New York and is impacting that culture with the love of Jesus. Um, And uh, I think he's now planted five or six churches in that amazing city. And this is what he says, um, speaking of the Bible in the context of culture. We cannot make the Bible and culture equally authoritative. If we state that the Bible says here is true, but what the Bible says over there is regressive or outdated, we have given culture the final authority over the word. Either the Bible is the final authority and determines what is acceptable and unacceptable, or culture has the final authority over the Bible and determines what in the text is acceptable or unacceptable. He finishes with this. The fundamental question that we need to ask ourselves is who or what determines what is right and wrong? Is it God or is it culture? It's something we need to meditate on and see where we are on these things. But church, this is the thing that we need to really understand, that we need to speak the truth, but it must be spoken in love. You see, the reality is that love without truth is not loving, but truth without love is not heard. We don't have access to people 
speaking the truth that we haven't built relationship with, speaking into lives of people who, we, who know we don't really love them, speaking into the city. The city needs to know that we love them, we care for them. The people need to know. And I tell you, when we begin to move and through words and deeds, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men. How? That they might see your good deeds. And through that, begin to glorify the Father in heaven. And we create an atmosphere through love and good deeds where the seed of the word can penetrate the hardest of all hearts and germinate and grow. Paul in Ephesians 4.15 reminds us of this. He exhorts us, he exhorts us to speak the truth in love. And church, I sincerely believe that at the heart of all of us is the desire to do so. The problem with this is that as I've been looking at this and praying into it, it's easy to say but not always easy to do. We tend to, depending on circumstance, depending on where we're at, to lean one way or the other. And we can oscillate between a whole lot of truth with little love and a whole lot of love with little truth. It's a messy situation. Life can be messy. messy. But here's the good news, church is that we have, as Christians, have a perfect example of truth and love in Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a few of these examples. And the first one I want to look at is in Luke chapter 4. It's at the very beginning of his public ministry. He's recently been baptized in the River Jordan by John. When he comes up, the Holy Spirit that was in him from birth comes upon him, and he is then led by the Spirit into the desert. He is tempted. He comes out of there, there, the Word of God says, in the power of the um, the Spirit, and he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. So we're going to pick up in Luke 4, verse 14 to 21. On this journey, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news of him spread through the whole country. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. We come to church, as is our custom. And he stood up and read, from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Can you imagine? We have a Bible, the Word of God, and we have chapters and verses that had scrolls. So he had to go through the scroll intentionally to find exactly what his ministry was all about. And in these few verses, he defines his ministry Till his death on the cross. And this is what he write, reads, quoting Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the press free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. My tongue's sticking to the top of my my palate because uh, I took some antihistamines this morning and maybe a little bit more than I should have. So if it sounds like I've got a lisp, that's what it is. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and every eye, everyone in the synagogue's eyes were fasted on him. And then he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, this is what truth spoken in love looks like. It brings freedom from the captivity of sin. It brings freedom from oppression. It's God's provision for reconciliation. It's the good news of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And these words would ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus on the cross at Calvary when he took upon himself the sin of the world. A beautiful scripture. Isaiah writes as he's looking forward to the Messiah and one that we don't always associate with Jesus. But in Isaiah 52 verse 7, he writes, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And that's what speaking the truth looks like. We see this acted out in John chapter four. I was thinking about this and the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. I've been thinking about that all week. And it's John 4 from verse 1 to 42. And I'm not going to read the whole passage. I'll point to some of it, but I encourage you in the context of what we're saying today to go and read that and study that amazing passage. We see here Jesus initiating a conversation with a woman at a well. A woman with many, many issues like us. She was a social outcast, despised by the Jews because she was a Samaritan and despised by the Samaritans because of her lifestyle. She's in a pretty much lose-lose situation. In the story it says he went, she went to the well at the sixth hour. And that's six, not 6 a.m. in the morning, they had their hours based on the rising of the sun. So this was around midday. Nobody ever went to the well around midday uh, with the sheep or to collect water because it was so hot. It could be in the 40, 50, 60 degrees in that area. And she would do that, I feel and believe, is because she was afraid to be around people. And in the story, the disciples, after a long journey, go into the city to get some food. And Jesus is sitting at the well. Well, along, and along comes 
this Samaritan woman. He engages her by simply asking her for a drink of water. And in doing so, he breaks every religious protocol of the day. You know that religion without love is one of the most terrible things that could ever happen. But he breaks every protocol. She was a Samaritan woman, as I said, and as a result, an outcast to the Jews. But just the fact that he spoke to her broke protocol. And she was a serial adulteress, which could lead to a sentence of death on her in those days. And despite knowing all of this, knowing her lifestyle, her five husbands, Jesus breaks every ethnic and religious protocol and engages her. Not from a place of judgment, but from a place of mercy. We have many men and women at the wells around us. Some may even be here today. It may be us ourselves. And what does he do? He doesn't shy away from the truth. He speaks the truth. He confronts her lifestyle, but in such a way, in such a loving way, that instead of running away and hiding in condemnation, she runs back into her hometown, the very town that had rejected her, and she tells her story, her story of meeting Jesus. And by doing so, she initiates a revival. She tells him, come and see a man who told me everything I'd ever done. He could have told in a way that would have made her absolutely feel terrible. But she could see the compassion and the love and the mercy in this man, Jesus, who had her best interest at heart, who loved her, who wanted to see her set free. I'm sure she had been reminded many, many times by people of her five husbands and what she had done. But I'm sure most of those times, except this one, in fact, I'm convinced, were never done in love. And this was the difference. Jesus spoke the truth, but he spoke it in love. And in doing so, he modeled love, compassion, and forgiveness, and acceptance. He literally led her to himself the very source of living water that he had spoken about to her at the well. John 3.17, we love John 3.16. But this is what speaking the truth in love means. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We need to remember this when we look at our neighbors. I need to remember this. The people in our city, our workplace, the people whom God has inconveniently put in our space and can be very annoying as we can. We need to remember 
that God never condemned sinners. He did, condemned religion. He saved them. He loved them. He cared for them. And as a result of, a result of Jesus' compassion to this woman just looking for love, we see in John four thirty nine to 42, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of her testimony. testimony. He told me everything I had done. I was just listening, meditating on that yesterday. She had been told everything she had done almost on a daily basis. But there was a difference in how Jesus told her and it led to her redemption. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and now we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Just believe me, I know by experience that it's not easy to continually speak the, word, the truth in love, even to the ones we love. But what is impossible for man is more than possible in and through Jesus Christ. And the only way we can learn to do so is by spending time with Jesus, the source of our love. When we spend time with Jesus, we become more like him. And I find more and more in my life, in my quiet time, that I'm talking less and trying to listen more and just spend time in his presence. You see, this is the thing with love, the agape love of God. It's a Greek word for love. We have it just love. But agape is unconditional undeserved, unmerited love. When Jesus says love one another, that word is agape. Go and look it up. It's even more than that. It's an incredible word. And his love is never and can never ever be achieved by human effort. And that's what religion does for, to us. Most, in fact, every other religion, other than Christianity, you have to earn your salvation. The problem with that, if we're on step number 10, and Jesus is at step number gazillion, and every day we try and get up one more step, and one more step, and one more step, and let's say we get to the very second last step, and we stumble, we go all the way back to the beginning again. And that's what religion does without love, mercy, and grace. You see, grace is more like this. Law is you've got to do these things. You've got to do them, you've got to do them. You break one, you start again. Grace is like this to me. Grace is like 
not a long stairway, but like an escalator. How many of you like escalators? I can, I'll take an escalator even if it's only 50 steps. I love them. And I see all these people next to me <laughs> trying to keep up and I'm just chilling on the escalator and, uh, and so on. But even when you fall on an escalator, you still go upwards. That's what grace is. It's always there. It's always there for us. It's an amazing, amazing gift of God. And like I said, God's love can never be achieved by human effort. It is received by grace through faith. His love is poured into our hearts by His Spirit. It's a short message because I want us to worship some more. Because I'm believing that some of us still need our love tanks filled. And I'm wanting us to get to a place in worship today where we are not trying to strive to earn our Father's love. Not trying to come full of condemnation and all of those things. But simply coming as we are. Like that woman at the well. And allowing Jesus to fill us with his love, mercy and grace. You see, she didn't get what he he said she, she got what he was. She knew something different. This guy's telling me all about my sin. But it led to a redemption. It was something about him. And that's what God wants to do for us. Many, many, we're continually trying to please God. God is pleased. Because when he sees us, when we're born again, he doesn't see us in ourselves. He sees us in his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews says that we come into the throne of grace, to the throne of grace, Hebrews 10, yeah. Through a new and a living way, through the blood of Jesus, we come and we stand holy and righteous, not because of our deeds, but because of the deeds Jesus did on our behalf in laying down his life. And this is one of my anchor, I have some what I call anchor scriptures. I'll tell you a secret of one of them today. It's Romans chapter five, verse one to 10. Speaking of the grace of God. And this is what Paul writes. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, how are we justified? Through faith. Faith in who? Faith in ourselves? Faith in the church? Faith in our fellow man? No. Through faith, our faith is in Jesus Christ. He justified us freely. And because of that, we should have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. That amazing word peace is not peace out, bro. It's hang out. It's the word shalom. Go and Google that. It's wholeness. It's fullness. It's joy. It's healing. It's restoration. It's all of that 
in this one word. So when he, he speaks of peace, it's not just that little word that we think it is. It's a full meal. And through Jesus Christ, and here it is, through whom we have gained access, how? By faith in his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering will produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. And this is that for me because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his spirit. So when our love tanks are empty and we don't go, we go before our Father, God, because we are supposed to be leaky Christians. Love is supposed to come in and it's supposed to leak out like it did with Jesus and impact people. We don't come and we come there, oh man, yes, we can... You know what repentance is all about and confession? Because Jesus has paid the price for our sins, past, present, and future. And how do I know that? Because on Calvary, he paid the price for my sins. He doesn't pay the price every time somebody sins. Imagine. That does not a license to sin. It should make us so joyful because when we come to the throne of grace, we come through grace. And we come before him and people say you don't have to confess your sins. You know, confession is not for God, it's for us. Because Hebrews 10 tells us too that it cleanses us from a guilty conscience. And I every day have got stuff that I feel guilty about. And so I say, sorry to my dad. Sorry, dad, I messed up again. Lord, thank you for Jesus. I need your help. I need your presence. I need you. And what it does, it takes, it cleanses my conscience. Go and read it. And therefore, when I come to my father, when my conscience is clear, I don't hold back the whole time. I'm not worried what's he thinking. I'm not worrying about this. And many of us come to church, we want to worship, but oh God, I had such a bad week. Just give it to God, confess it. He is faithful and just to cleanse us. One John tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just like we should have a shower to cleanse us. All we do is stand under the shower. We come into the presence of God and we say, God, I need you. It's not a religious risk, uh, ritual. Read your Bible, pray. Read your Bible, the, uh, pray. I, I, when I first got saved, that was the thing. If you're not doing this, you're not doing that. And it was tough until I found grace. And I can come to my dad anytime I want. Now we need to be transformed. 
And if we continue, continually just get in a get out of jail card, that's not true repentance. But when we fall, we go to him. We fall in love with him. We come and meet him in the morning or the evening or in our car or whatever. Not because we have to, but because we want to. And I'm telling you, the more you come that way, not trying to prove anything, sometimes not even saying anything, just in your mind, just going through these things, God help me, God help me, God help me. Okay, my boy. Which one of you would give a a serpent to your child, Jesus says, if you ask for bread? Anybody here? I'm so pleased. God will not give us stuff to harm us. God wants to give us stuff to free us. And why did God send Jesus? I'm telling you, I don't know. As a father, when I would let my son die for the crazy people and the crazy person like I was, why would he do that? Why did he do that? Because he's so much full with love. Because he loves so much that even this place from heaven must look pretty out of control. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to pay the price, to show us the way, how to live, how to speak the truth in love, all of these kind of things. He sent his son. Why? So that relationship that was broken by sin in the, in the garden with Adam and Eve could be restored in and through Jesus whom Paul in Romans says was the second Adam. So that relationship broken by sin could be restored in and through Jesus Christ. That's why he did it. That's why he did it. He's not into ritual. We can't go and confess to him something he doesn't already know. Lord God, I did this. I don't know if you were there, but. And he's already forgiven us. And it's love and not religion that will transform your life. It's not how many pages, and we're going to go through the Bible next year. It's an amazing book, and we need to read this. But it's love that transforms a life. It's love that transformed the Samaritan woman's life. It wasn't him saying, okay, let's go to the Ten Commandments. And I want to tell you, not only did you break these ten, but I've got a few more. And you better judge up. Because one of these days you're going to get stoned. Now he says, I know you've done this. I know. I know you've had this and this. I would have wished we could I've heard the whole story. John says that if every word of Jesus was, spo- was written down, there wouldn't be not enough books to contain it. So this wasn't a two-verse little conversation. This was over maybe an hour sitting at a well. We don't even know. What a beautiful conversation. And God can have those conversations with you in your very room, just with you. And they must have been talking backwards and forwards. And he must have been shown a scripture. And all of a sudden, bam, this is the Christ. She runs into a city. 
She tells him about this Jesus that loved her and cared for her and didn't condemn her. She tells him about this amazing Jesus. These guys that would have shunned her and wanted nothing to do followed her and ran to the well. And were saved. And they acknowledged him as the Messiah even before he had died on the cross. You see... This is what happens. God pours out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. This is amazing. You see, just at the right time. We all have a just at the right time. It might be today. We may be a prodigal that has gone away from God and is eating pig food, although we think it tastes really good. We might be in a situation like that, but we have a father that is standing longing for you to come home, longing for you to come out of religion into relationship, longing for you to restore the joy of your salvation and mine, longing for a relationship of a true father and a true son and a true daughter, longing to hang with you. And if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it would be a privilege for me when we worship to speak to you about it. I know often people say, if you want to know Jesus, put up your hand. And that's really valid. But if we just make a decision, if we just say, yeah, okay, I've tried everything else, I'll try Jesus. He has my hand. <laughs> no. Jesus, if you give your heart to him, will totally transform your life. He will never leave you or forsake you. When you're in the deepest of the deep of the deep, if you come to your God, you just sense his love, his mercy and grace. I cannot imagine how anybody wants to walk through this world and the book says it's going to get worse without Jesus Christ. That's the thing for me. We all have hurts. We all have issues. We all have jobs. We all don't have jobs sometimes. We have this and back. We have breakdowns in our lives. But God's love is constant. And when we come back with that stinky, smelly pig smell and we walk back to our father and our father, he doesn't wait there. Okay, I'm going to make this guy really grovel. I'm going to make him pay, pay, pay. He runs. He hugs him. Smelly and all. He says, listen, I'm going to take all that dirt away. I'm going to give you a new robe and I'm going to put a ring back on your finger, the ring of sonship. But there was another guy there, very religious, served God his whole life, served his father. And his father comes and says, my son's back. He was lost and found. We're going to have a party. And he says, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I've done this, 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 and this. He had not got a revelation of grace. 
And grace isn't a license to sin like people will say. Grace isn't a thing where I go and see how far I can go till I fall, fall off the edge. Well, I can do this. I'm under grace. Uh, yeah, I'm under grace. And Okay, God, I'm going to test you one more time. Grace gives us access to God. Grace would bring us to a place that we want to get closer to God because he doesn't condemn us, because he, he loves us. He wants us to be with him. So grace should not drive us to sin, but drive us to the very holy of holies because we come through a new and a living way and there's nowhere else to do it. And when we come there and I'm saying, God, I'm so sorry, he says, it's gone. Let's chill now. Let's chill now. Let's have fun. You're my son. And unfortunately, for the elder brother, he never knew that. He never knew that. He thought it was work, work, work. And I don't know what happened to me. I have a little inkling that while they were partying and having fun, eventually maybe he slipped in the back door and started partying with them. Because that's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. We all need grace. You see this here, carrying on in Romans 5. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love in this. That whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more? I love this. We're going to look at how many times, how much more comes up in Romans. But here, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. I love it. How much more? Having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the most beautiful world in the world, word to me in the world, reconciliation. Like that woman of the well, like Paul, he gave approval to the death of Christians. Like David, who committed adultery and arranged for a murder of someone. We can come into his presence right now and we can have a shower from God. Holy Spirit, rain down. And if the worship team can please come, I know we have a bit more time. But if we could please bow our heads, because I feel right now just to pray that God wants to break condemnation. Some of you of us are saying, man, I've got these filthy rags. The other, some of us will say, man, I've been trying to do it in my own strength and it sucks. God is here for both. I've been trying to do it. I've been trying to serve God. I've been trying to have a quiet time. I've been trying to do this. 
It's a really horrible place to be. At least people that are sinning badly seem like they're having fun. But when we're in religion, we can't even have fun. And God wants to set us free. And God wants to give us a revelation of grace. The undeserved, uh, undeserved love, mercy, and grace of God. So if we can bow our heads. And just open your hearts. And for a moment, yeah, if you have to confess your sin, God knows it anyway. It's only going to free you and free me. And grace like rain is going to fall down on us. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We stand before you, our God, in the very Holy of Holies, because of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that, Jesus. You paid the price. When you said it was finished, you meant it. We thank you that salvation and grace is a free gift. And Lord, I want to declare freedom in this house. Not licentious freedom, but freedom to love you regardless of where we're at because you see us through Jesus Christ. Freedom to dream. Freedom like that beautiful woman at the well that outcast because of a lifestyle freedom to dance before a city freedom to tell the city of the love of God freedom to see people set free through her testimony a city was turned around there's no future in our past church Today is the day for you, for me, to draw a line in the sand. And I want to tell you one thing in this. You will know the voice of the enemy and you will know the voice of the Son, Jesus Christ. The enemy will trash talk to you and tell you to always run away. Always run away. Whether it's a thought or whether it's an act, whether it's big or whether it's small, he's going to tell you you don't deserve this. The voice of our good shepherd Jesus is, Come unto me, all you are heavy laden. Heavy laden with sin. Heavy laden with guilt. Heavy laden with sickness, with fear, with anxiety. Come unto me today. Take my yoke upon you. Let go of that stuff. Give it to me for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. We've all made mistakes. Come unto me, he finishes with this, and you will find rest for your soul. Come, Holy Spirit, come.